This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that abortionists do not need admitting privileges at nearby hospitals. This ruling strikes down a Louisiana law, but has consequences far beyond that state's boundaries. Does this ruling apply to all states? How did the Supreme Court arrive at this decision? I discussed the impact of this ruling with Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Denise Harley. And now today's Fast Track. Yesterday, the Missouri Supreme Court struck down state lawmakers' efforts to defund Planned Parenthood as a clear and unmistakable violation of the state constitution, the Associated Press reports. By a 6-to-1 majority, the justices ruled that a state budget law prohibiting Medicaid funds to abortion groups is unconstitutional. In a statement praising the U.S. Supreme Court for striking down a Louisiana law requiring doctors who provide abortions to have admitting privileges at a local hospital, 2020 Democratic presidential nominee apparent Joe Biden announced his support for abortion under any circumstance, staking out an extreme position on the issue. Biden, once a self-proclaimed pro-life Democrat, stood by his personal opposition to abortion as recently as the 2012 presidential election, when he explained in a debate against then-Republican vice presidential nominee Paul Ryan that he was personally opposed to the procedure but felt that he had no reason to prevent women from exercising choice. The Supreme Court sided with a group of families in Montana that challenged a state law that banned scholarship money from being used toward faith-based schools in the Espinosa v. Montana Department of Revenue case. The grants were given via donations that were tax-deductible. The court ruled that discrimination against non-secular schools is a violation of the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment and that although states need not subsidize private education, Non-secular institutions cannot be discriminated against in the distribution of such subsidies based on religious ties. In St. Charles, Missouri, a cooperative effort of the Lutheran High School of St. Charles County STEM program, Lutheran Foundation of St. Louis, and a group of individual donors has resulted in the production and delivery of more than 5,000 PPE face shields to healthcare workers, first responders, and others. The project, called Help From Home, began in March and is still underway. David Zills, director of the LHS STEM robotics team, the Roboteers, explained that while many groups around the country have been producing 3D-printed headbands for protective face shields, fewer have been performing all the steps needed to assemble and deliver complete, ready-to-wear shields. Zills noted that the Help From Home team has been involved not only in producing and assembling the face shields, but delivering them as well, all while following social distancing guidelines. On June 24th, the Navy issued an order that banned troops from attending indoor religious services, although other activities such as using mass transit, hosting social gatherings of any size, and participation in protests are all permitted but the order specifically states that service members are prohibited from visiting, patronizing, or engaging in indoor religious services. The Navy's orders apply to everyone assigned to Navy units and vessels, including its chaplains. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. 
Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. Good day. My name is Kip Allen. I'm the host for World Lutheran News Digest. The Supreme Court just recently made a huge ruling that affects the abortion pro-life issue. With me today is Denise Harley of Alliance Defending Freedom to help explain it for us. Denise, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Denise, could we have a little bit about your background and how you are involved in this? I serve as a senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom in our Center for Life. Um, And in that capacity, I have the pleasure of working on um, pro-life cases around the nation. And we at ADF always are happy to support states when they enact legislation that protects life and protects women. And that was, this was one of these cases. So we have been involved in the case since very early on, and we provided support all the way up to the Supreme Court, including filing an amicus brief, supporting Louisiana, supporting the law, and participating in rallies and other media coverage, just to highlight how important that law was. The law, the suit was actually, I believe, uh, June Medical Services versus uh, the state of Louisiana. What was the law that June Medical Services objected to? The law was one that Louisiana passed when the legislature realized that there was a very bad track record among abortion providers in Louisiana. Uh, Women had been suffering from all sorts of harm excessive bleeding, the abortion providers were being found to destroy medical records, not realize their instruments, violating a number of health and safety laws. And so the Louisiana legislature overwhelmingly, in a bipartisan fashion, passed what was called the Louisiana Unsafe Abortion Protection Act. And what that law did was simply require that abortion providers obtain privileges to admit and treat their patients at nearby hospitals. And that is the same requirement that Louisiana places on other doctors at other surgical centers. So it was simply bringing abortion practices in line with other doctors. And the admitting privileges is really just a credentialing function to make sure that hospitals are screening uh, doctors for competency. And also that when something goes wrong during procedure, uh, the patient is able to get treatment with continuity of care very swiftly so things don't get worse. Um, So it was really a common-sense health and safety law, and yet the abortion industry immediately filed a challenge and resisted complying. 
And of course, there are records of uh, just how dangerous abortion can be, especially you know, when compared to other uh, type of ambulatory services. My uh, wife, for example, used to work at a uh, endoscopy center, and they had to have admitting privileges. You bet. You bet. It seems that abortion is really the only exception, at least in Louisiana. Well, moving to the Supreme Court, the court actually ruled very narrowly on this one. It was a five to four decision. Uh, the four liberals went back uh, specifically uh, referring to the uh, Texas case, Whole Woman's Health, uh, where a very similar bill was struck down as unconstitutional. The uh, conservative fourth justices said, uh, well, no, that doesn't really apply in this case, and we, sh we uh, should look at really what this is about. Now, Chief Justice Roberts had an interesting take on it. Um, he supported the liberals on this, but he said that the whole woman's health uh, ruling, which the Supreme Court had, had passed, was a wrong ruling. He opposed it at the time and still thinks the ruling was wrong. But despite that, he says, because of precedent, I've got to support it. Well, I can tell you've done your homework, Kip. You've done a great job wading through the 138 pages of <laughs> these decisions. <laughs> um, that's right. Well, so I had a little light reading an... last night. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. Um, so the Chief Justice's opinion will be the controlling opinion out of this case. And so I'm glad you said it was narrow because that's absolutely correct. The Chief Justice uh, wrote opinion so narrow that it essentially says, Nothing has changed. Um, so for a little bit of background for the readers, Texas had passed a, a very similar law that got to the Supreme Court in 2016 and was upheld five to three by the more progressive justices, the more liberal justices. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts vehemently dissented at that time. And so what happened with this case is Chief Justice Roberts says, I still think that case was wrong. However, because we made that decision, we're now bound by it, and I think the facts here are so similar that we have to rule the same way. He did make a point to say, by the way, we defer to legislatures. States can pass laws to protect health and safety, to regulate abortion, so long as it's reasonably related to a legitimate purpose. And there's no higher bar, there's no heightened scrutiny, but all he's saying is that on the facts here, he thinks it's the same as the outcome in 2016. It almost calls to mind what Chief Justice Roberts would have done in Board versus in uh, Brown versus Board of Education, because that overturned a well-standing uh, ruling, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. We certainly see the court overturn wrong rulings, and this would have been a, an excellent opportunity for Chief Justice Roberts to correct a decision from just a few years ago that he still believes is wrong based on his um, what he told us yesterday. So that's that's really disappointing. And I and it's interesting to see that he did write something so narrow that none of the liberal justices were willing to even sign on to his controlling opinion. I don't know if you noticed that, but he he was the only one on that opinion and none of the liberal justices thought it was um, I guess quite good enough for what for the outcome they wanted. Yeah, it was concurring. It was a concurring report. Yep, concurring opinion, which of course all any justice is, is able to sign on to that concurring opinion, uh, but they did not do so, which signals that they wanted something much broader than what they got. I was looking at some of the uh, dissenting um, opinions on that, uh, specifically 
Justice uh, Roberts, uh, pardon me, uh, Justice Thomas was especially uh, fiery in his denunciation of this ruling. Yes, um, he is so consistent, and I think he makes a great point about why it's wrong to uphold a ruling that you think is wrong. So he, he and and Justice Gorsuch calls out um, the chief as well. But the point being, if the, if we made a mistake in a case four years ago, because there is no such thing as a constitutional right to abortion, there nowhere in the abortion does it say that a woman has a a substantive due process right to kill her unborn child, then why, if we've made that mistake, would we not correct it now that we have the opportunity? There are clearly five justices here that think that the, that the, the most recent decision in 2016 was wrong. So why not correct that mistake rather than continuing on to make a mistake over and over again? Um, and, and Justice Thomas has a a beautiful understanding of on the dignity of life and a, and a great grasp on the Constitution, and I appreciate his firm voice in continually calling out the fact that abortion is not a constitutional right. It never was, it never has been, and it never will be. Well, where do we go from this point? Uh, reading a bit between the lines here, and bearing in mind I am not an attorney, Chief Justice Roberts seemed to have left a little wiggle room for future decisions. Am I reading this correctly? That's a correct reading. I think that states can look at this and recognize that they are freely able to continue to pass laws that regulate abortion um, in a way that protects life, protects health and safety of women. And as long as they're not placing some sort of substantial obstacle in the way of abortion, unfortunately, that's the test we're stuck with for now until we uh, make a little more headway. But what this, all this means is it's going to be a very state-by-state -state analysis. It's going to be very fact-specific. What happened in Louisiana was very much in the weeds on the facts there. As, as you probably read the Justice Breyer's plurality opinion, he talks about all the details of every abortion doctor and every abortion clinic and, and the demographics of Louisiana. So there's really not some broad takeaway that should um, make states shy. They should continue to execute their their duty to protect women and, and prioritize women's health over abortion industry interests. Well, for example, here in St. Louis, we have one abortion clinic in the city, actually only one in the state from Planned Parenthood. But we are right on the border, of course, with Illinois, which has very liberal abortion laws. Um, I'm wondering if uh, how the ruling would have would have affected us had we had the state of Missouri done the same thing. Say, look, you need to have uh, you need to have uh, admitting privileges since they can get them right across the river. Yeah, that's a good question, and I think one question I'm always asking is why does the abortion industry fight so hard against complying with something that's very simple that. Uh, any number of physicians around the world in different, you know, around the nation in different, uh, you know, specializations of medicine comply with this. Why not just simply apply, get the privilege, and go on with your abortion business? Um, there's no reason to throw up your hands and shut down when, you know, the record in this case was only one 
abortion doctor in the entire state had made even a good faith attempt to get the admitting privileges. You know, it's it just why not just follow the common sense safeguard that is standard in the industry. That's it just shows that the abortion businesses are about that bottom line rather than making sure that um, their patients and women are taken care of. Well, another issue that was raised was the standing of Planned Parenthood actually to challenge this law. None of the patients challenged it. None of the women who are getting abortions or perhaps would have gotten abortion challenged the law. This one came directly from Planned Parenthood. And uh, I know that uh, Justice Thomas and several others said that they had absolutely no standing to file suit. And this is what we see over and over again. When we, when we look at where pro-life laws are challenged, it is almost always Planned Parenthood that's the plaintiff or an abortion clinic or abortion doctor who is trying to strike down the law. And that's very telling. It's not women who are coming and saying, we don't want these protections. We don't want this you know, information when we're considering abortion. Instead, it's the abortionists who don't want to be inconvenienced or um, have their bottom line affected because they're complying with something that might perhaps lead a woman to choose uh, life for her baby. Fox guarding the hen house, and this was what we'd hoped would be the opportunity for the court to say once and for all that it's not right for abortion interests to pretend to speak for women. Where do we go from here? I, I know the, the ultimate goal of the pro-life movement is to have uh, Roe v. Wade overturned. Where do we go from this point? Because this was a major defeat for the pro-life movement. Well, I think what we see from yesterday's decision is that we're going to continue to operate under the same standard that we've been under, which is um, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. This is going to shut down some of the lawsuits that have emerged after 2016 because the 2016 opinion on the Texas law was written in such a way to make it sound like really pro-life laws were going to have a much higher burden to meet. So I think some of those will fortunately end in a victory for the pro-life movement. Um, and other than that, I think we just need states to continue to do their duty to protect life, protect the health and safety of women as best they can, and to continue to have the grassroots pro-life movement we're seeing where pregnancy centers are um, around the nation ministering to hundreds of thousands of women and their babies and really cultivate a culture of life because that's, that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's where it really matters. Well, the president has denounced this ruling. Um, obviously, there's nothing that he can do about it, separation of powers and all. But we do have a, an election coming up this year, and I think that uh, with, given the age of many of the justices on the Supreme Court, this is going to become an issue in the, uh, in the election. Now, which side is going to take care of... Uh, will nominate justices as openings appear, what will they say? What will they support? I think this is going to be a major issue. Well, I think we know from the polling that it, it was a major um, factor in voters' minds in 2016. Um, with as, everything that's going on this year, it's hard to say what people are <laughs> focused on. Um, but I would say that we should expect all of our just, judges around the nation, state, federal, local, to follow the Constitution and follow the laws, to apply them fairly. And um, we should be able to expect 
that we can rely on what the law is and what the law says. And anytime we see a decision um, depart from that, it's it's very concerning because it takes away the stability in our society to simply rely on what the law is. Um, so I think I hope that we can will continue to see judges do their jobs, apply the law fairly, um, because it is such a, a important part of our our nation's structure. Well, we also see now where the, where the president and uh, the Republican Party have come out squarely in favor of uh, pro-life justices, whereas the Democratic Party and their nominee apparent uh, uh, Vice President Biden uh, are doing quite the opposite. They, they go into what they call the right to choose. Something else, though, I've noticed that's related to this is that all these cases, of course, began in lower courts and went on up. Now, the president has just appointed, uh, successfully gotten his 200th judge appointed in the, the federal bench. So that's another thing to look at, is where these cases are going to be starting and how they will wind up. Uh, the lower courts are very important. Oh, absolutely. And, and we've seen that plaintiffs, certainly Planned Parenthood, um, ha- have begun over the years to select specific states or federal jurisdictions where they know they're going to get a favorable uh, judge or they expect a favorable ruling. I mean, certainly for a long time, the Ninth Circuit was notorious for um, always siding with a progressive argument that departed from the Constitution and, and repeatedly getting slapped down by the Supreme Court. And so uh, it does. It, it plays in very much into how the, the case develops. But I think, you know, if this year reminds us of anything, it's that so much is out of our control. We never know which court, which case is going to get to the court or what the court's going to do with it. And I, I think it is a humbling, it's been a humbling few weeks for all of us to see, you know, between the Title VII decision, the Harris Funeral Homes, I don't know if you spoke with your uh, listeners about that, um, but the to change the definition of sex to mean sexual orientation and transgender um, identity, between that and then, you know, yesterday's ruling, we're seeing that uh, we cannot predict what a court <laughs> is going to do, unfortunately. Well, uh, looks like we uh, did score a victory, though, in the Espinosa case uh, today in, uh, in Montana, where it says that you cannot discriminate against uh, religious organizations when it comes to things like tax credits. Yes, that's a great win for religious liberty, a great win for religious freedom and it's a it's a it's a continuation of the trend out of the Supreme Court to be more and more vigorously protective of our religious freedoms under the First Amendment and that is again simply a straightforward reading of the First Amendment makes it so clear that no American should be punished or targeted based on their religious faith um, by by government officials and so we are we were thrilled to see that ruling. We certainly supported the right side in that case and worked very hard on an amicus brief to try to get the right outcome. And so we're glad to see that this is the law of the land now. Interestingly enough, again, it was a 5-4 to four decision, but this time Justice Roberts went with the conservatives. He did. And, you know, I think we can be confident that religious freedoms are going to prevail in so many ways, just based on what we've seen from Masterpiece Cake Shop, the Nifla v. Becerra case, um, several of the cases ADF has had the, 
the privilege of working on, we've we'd won ten cases in a row before Harris Funeral Homes um, in the Supreme Court in the past several years. So there is there is hope, even on a on a day where we are disappointed. Just one final question. Uh, if our listeners want to learn more about Alliance Defending Freedom, how can they do that? We would love for your listeners to read about our cases and our issues and efforts at adflegal.org. So that stands for Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, we are a nonprofit ministry that does all of our work pro bono, meaning we do not charge any of our clients. We exist only on the generous support of um, people like your listeners who believe in our cases and believe in our clients and believe that Americans should be free to live and work according to their beliefs. And so we would love um, to have you all plugged in at adflegal.org. You can sign up for our email alerts and our newsletters um, and just stay in the loop on cases like the one we're talking about today. Denise Harley, thank you very much for joining us on World Lutheran News Digest. It's been an informative program. Thanks so much, Kip. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.